Y'all welcome Jonathan Doors. Well, thank you, Wilson and elders, for having me back. It's great to be back here at Grace. I can't believe it's been 20 years. Uh, my wife and I moved here with a three-year-old and a two-month-old, and uh, that two-month-old is now married, uh, which is crazy. But uh, we, we moved here with the, the calling to plant a church, which I had very little idea what that was going to actually entail. Uh, and we had a few phone numbers of people who might be interested. And, uh, but God has been very faithful. And uh, it's wonderful to see all of you here. Uh, those who know me, one other fact that maybe Madeline shared was, uh, is that I, I'm a, I love movies and I love to work them into sermons. So many great examples and metaphors in them. And one of, an overlooked gem that uh, came out not too long ago, a few years back, is a, a Martin Scorsese film called Silence. And in that film, two priests from Portugal travel to Japan, this is in the 19th century, to investigate reports that their mentor, Father Ferreira, has committed apostasy, denying Christ. And when they get to, when they arrive in Japan, they realize that the situation is worse than they had even imagined, that Christianity has recently been declared illegal, and that there are inquisitors going from town to town looking for Christian converts to either make them uh, deny Christ or be tortured and even killed. And when they meet the inquisitor who is arresting and killing these Christians, he tells them that Christianity is a Western religion not an Eastern religion, and that Christianity will never take root in Japan because, in his words, Japan is a swamp that will only nourish Buddhist faith, not Christian faith. Well, one, one way to marginalize a religion is to say that it is only for one group of people or only one race of people. Uh, Christianity has been accused at various times of being a white man's religion or a Western religion, which is a curious claim since the founders of Christianity were all Middle Eastern men who would have looked a lot more like Osama bin Laden than me. So let's ask the question, who is the good news of Christianity for? And to ask that question, you first have to ask the question, what is the good news of Christian? What is the gospel? Now, we start with, the good news starts with something that I think pretty much everybody agrees with, and that is that the world is a broken place. Now, we can argue about how broken, where, and how much, what kinds of things are broken, but we all sort of agree that there's something deeply wrong in the world and in all of us. And the the gospel, the Christian gospel says that God knows that, and he has not left us to stay broken. But he actually came in the form of a man to live a life, perfect life, and to die, to save a people for himself, and then to rise again over, uh, in victory over death and evil, to make the world good again, to make the world right again. This is the message of the first Christians. Uh, but 
One of the questions being asked in the early church and being worked out, you see this being worked out all through the New Testament is, who is this, who's this for? Is this message for everyone? Uh, or is it just for a small group of people? Because in the Old Testament, it seemed like the message, the good news, was just for a small group of people, just for the Jewish people. But at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as you read the book of Acts, you see that, that Jesus' words there is really gets worked out throughout the book as they, the, the apostles, the disciples begin in Jerusalem. And then as they go out into the surrounding areas, Judea and Samaria, and then continue on, and, and we see Paul traveling to the ends of the earth. And interestingly, sometimes the ends of the earth come near. We see that in today's reading as we meet a man who is a long way from home, uh, in a play, from a place considered the very end of the earth in the Roman Empire. And so if you are able, would you please stand for this reading of God's word from Acts chapter 8, starting verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this, this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passages of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This is God's word for God's people and for the good of the world. Please be seated. Now, the first thing we learn from this passage is that the good news is for seekers. Philip, one of the leaders of the early church, he is told by the Holy Spirit, by an angel, to go on the road of Gaza. And there he meets a man who is from the African country of Ethiopia. And we're also told that this man is a eunuch. Uh, and he is the treasurer to the queen of Ethiopia. Now, being a eunuch was common for men in his position, uh, working so closely to a prominent woman, uh, ensuring that he wouldn't be able to relate to her in anything but a very professional manner. And so this man had come over a thousand miles to come to Jerusalem 
to worship God there at the temple. And he's trying to read the sacred scripture of Israel. But he's having trouble understanding it. Now, we don't know how he got hold of a scroll of the book of Isaiah, but somehow he did. And uh, something in it has moved him to see its truth in its message and in the God it proclaims. And then in verse 29, the Spirit says to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so you can just imagine Philip. He runs over this chariot. And he hears, hears the man reading from the scroll. And he says, hey, you understand what you're reading? The man says, no, I don't, I don't get it. I need someone to interpret it for me. So he invites him up to the, into the chariot and he gets up there. And, and beginning there in Isaiah, he begins to share the good news about Jesus with the man. The man believes the good news and then is baptized. Uh, the thing we learn here is that if you are looking for truth, if you are seeking, that God will find you. God will find you. Christianity is a religion that rewards the seeker because it has solid answers to the ultimate questions that you may be asking. C.S. Lewis once wrote, I believe this was in Mere Christianity, he says this, he says, I'm not asking anyone to accept Christianity if his best reasoning tells him that the weight of evidence is against it. Now, it's an interesting quote because Lewis himself, <laughs> for a long time, did not believe the, way, the evidence of Christianity. Uh, he was an atheist, and he was working in a place that was very hostile to Christianity, the academy in England. And yet, the more he asked questions, the more he sought the truth, the more he came to realize that it was true. That it was all true. He even says he didn't, he didn't really want it to be true. God kind of brought him into the kingdom, kicking and screaming. But he sought, and God found him. Now, I know there are some people that are afraid to go to church. Right? They think, well, I, I don't know. I've, I'm, I probably have too many questions, too many doubts. I probably wouldn't fit in. Listen, if, you, if you're searching for truth, you fit in. If you need Jesus... You fit here in the church. Now, when I talk about seekers, I'm talking about people who are genuinely seeking the truth. People who are willing to follow wherever it leads. That's this man, this Ethiopian eunuch. He is, he's willing to travel, uh, take a journey that probably took months thousand thousand miles to go uh, to worship this God that probably no one in his country worshiped he's a true seeker he doesn't care what's popular he doesn't care how much it's gonna cost him he only cares what's true but not everyone who says that they're a seeker really is there's a a lot of people today put limits really around what, what they will accept as a legitimate spiritual option. Right? They'll, they'll give a religion or philosophy a chance if they don't have to look into it too hard. Or if their friends kind of think it's cool that they're checking it out. Or 
you know, if it doesn't require them to change their sexual behavior. That's not a real search, is it? In Matthew 19, we see a rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we say, we think, Jesus, there you go. There is a ready-made convert, right? All you got to do is, you know, tell him about yourself, get him to pray the sinner's prayer, and bam, close the deal. That's not what Jesus does, does he? He, he begins to talk to the man. He talks about keeping the second half of the Ten Commandments. He says, don't, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. And the man says, oh, yeah, no problem. I've, I've kept all those since I was a little kid. And then Jesus, he follows the jab with a knockout punch. He says, oh, one thing you lack. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then come follow me. Now, some people have seen that story as sort of a wide application, that we should all, if you're serious about following Jesus, you give, give everything away and give it to the poor, which would make you the new poor. Right? But that is not... That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is it's all about the search. It's all about, actually, the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. See, Jesus is challenging this young man. He knows his heart. He's saying, are you, are you really seeking God? Are you really seeking to know me? Or are you just after what I can give you? how I can maybe improve your life. Let me put this this way. Imagine in the uh, Old Testament times, if a Philistine, if you read the Old Testament, you, you hear the music, dun, dun, dun. The Philistines are the, they're the enemies of Israel. They're the bad guys, right? Goliath was a Philistine. Imagine if a Philistine had come to Israel, to Jerusalem, and, and, and came to a priest and said, how do I get eternal life? Imagine that the priest said, well, you, you need to believe in Yahweh, the one true God, and you need to follow him, and then you need, to, you need to get circumcised, and you need to then begin to read the Torah and learn how to live according to God's laws. And imagine if the Philistines said, well, okay, I want to do that. I want to get circumcised. I want to live like you live, but I want to keep worshiping Dagon, the God of the Philistines. Is, it, is that cool? No. That is not going to work. <laughs> that is a deal breaker. Why? If you want God, you have to take him on his terms. You can't say, oh, I'll meet you halfway. Right? I'll, I'll go to church, but you know, as long as you don't ask me to give up the thing I really treasure, the thing I really worship. God says, if you're not willing to make me Lord of your life, you're not really seeking. You're just maybe seeking a little improvement in your life. And when it gets hard, you're probably out. But for those who are truly seeking, God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so the, the good news is for seekers. But the good news is also for rejects. This man, though he had a high position in the royal, royal court, he was also a eunuch. 
which meant that he was different. Not only was he not like most men, but he also couldn't have children, couldn't have a natural heir, something that was massively important in that time, in that culture. And he has come to Jerusalem to worship. But that, that would have probably been a very frustrating, maybe even crushing event for him because as someone who was a Gentile, anyone who's not Jewish, he would not have been allowed into the main part of the temple. He would have only been allowed into the court of the Gentiles, which is on the outer part of the temple. And if it had been known that he was a eunuch, he wouldn't have even been allowed into there. Deuteronomy 23 actually forbids eunuchs the right to enter any part of the temple. But there is good news for him. He's reading this section of Isaiah that's known as the servant songs. And he's, he's reads in chapter 53 about a sheep who was slaughtered, which is a metaphor for this, this man who was denied justice and whose life was taken away from the earth. This is the same passage, if you keep reading, that talks about a man who was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows who's pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And he asked Philip, who's this about? Is this about the prophet or is this about somebody else? Who was rejected? Who was cut off from me? Philip, of course, tells him, about Jesus, who was rejected by men, who was excluded so that we could be included in the kingdom of God. See, the gospel is good news for the poor. It's good news for the weak, for the outcast, for the reject. Because its champion, its savior, was an outcast. One of the, uh, there's a key moment in the, the Disney movie uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. When the, when the gypsy, Esmeralda, she prays for help from the persecution that her people are experiencing. And she, she sings this. She says, I don't know if you can hear me or if you're even there. I don't know if you would listen to a gypsy's prayer. Yes, I know I'm just an outcast. I shouldn't speak to you. Still, I see your face and wonder, were you once an outcast too? God help the outcasts, or nobody will. <laughs> she gets it. Were you once an outcast too? Yes, he was. I think we have all at times felt like the outcast, the reject. Maybe like there's something wrong with us that will make people reject us. Maybe it's a physical attribute or shortcoming, or maybe it's a mental health struggle with social anxiety or depression. But know this, that if you find Jesus, you will find someone who will love you no matter what. He is the friend of sinners, the lover of losers, the redeemer of rejects. He says in John 6, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes. That's a pretty blanket statement, isn't it? Whoever comes, regardless of who you are, where you come from, whether you think you fit in, the good news is for everyone, for everyone who would come. Christianity, in some ways, is the most radically inclusive religion there is. 
because you don't have to accept one sort of cultural way of dressing or speaking or acting. Christianity fits into every culture. It's at makes itself at home in every continent, every country in the world. And it's all about a Savior and believing in a Savior. But some people say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Inclusive? Christians? I feel like Christians are, aren't they pretty intolerant? Aren't they pretty exclusive? Don't they, don't they discriminate against women and LGBT people? Well, to be fair, the Bible does teach that men and women are different and that they are sometimes naturally suited to different roles. But that's a very different thing than saying that Christianity is against women. In fact, Wendy Alsup in her book, Is Christianity Good for Women?, makes a very strong case that Christianity is the best thing that ever happened for women. Because among ancient worldviews, which basically all sort of almost deified men in relationships and in the culture, only in the biblical worldview are men and women created equal. As Genesis 1 says, God created them, male and female. In the image of God, he created them. They're equal in honor and glory, both created equal in the image of God. And it wasn't until Jesus came into the world, really, that women were no longer treated as property and began to be given full rights as image bearers of God. Now, for a little harder one, it's for LGB people. Here's the thing. The Bible does not discriminate when it comes to sexual sin. In fact, the, the broad prohibition of sexual sin is in the Ten Commandments which says what? You shall not commit adultery. Which then, that broad prohibition is then worked out throughout the rest of the Bible. But the message of the Bible at the end of the day is that everyone is sexually broken in some way. From the frigid wife or husband to the young man who cannot stop looking at destructive images on his computer. They're all sexually broken. You know, the, in the culture war, they would have it be all the, the Christian community over here and the gay community over here. But from God's perspective, we're all on the same side. We're all sinners in need of God's grace. And there is hope for anyone willing to repent and believe this good news. And so the gospel message for anybody who will believe and turn to the Lord in faith God desires that people of all races, all cultures, be a part of his church, be a part of his people. We see that here in this passage. A black African, sexually altered, a pagan by birth, different from all of Jesus' disciples in so many ways, and yet called by God, loved by him all the same. And the Holy Spirit sent Philip to share the good news with him, and this is interesting. Just a few chapters after what they were reading, which was Isaiah 53. There's a passage in Isaiah 56 that if you and I maybe read over, we would probably read right over it. Um,
But this man surely would not have, because this is what it says in Isaiah 56. Thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, to the eunuchs who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Can you imagine the hope that this would have given this man? The Lord wants me to be a part of his family. He wants me to have a name greater than a son or a daughter. I don't even fully understand what that means. But he wants to adopt me into his family and live with him forever. What kind of God is this? In the first century, I mentioned earlier that Ethiopia was considered the ends of the earth, right? The furthermost boundaries of the Roman Empire. And yet some of the most important names in church history are African. Cyprian, Tertullian, Augustine. Church history shows how the, the Christian faith has taken root in the most diverse culture, starting in the Middle East, starting in North Africa, moving to Europe, America, Russia, in the last century has spread like wildfire in China and Africa and South America. Why? Because people everywhere need the good news. But how will they hear it? Romans 10 asks that question. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This Ethiopian needed someone to help him understand the good news. And Philip was led to meet him and teach him. Friends, who might the Holy Spirit be leading you to share this good news with? And don't be surprised if it's somebody very different from you. Now, the last thing, what strikes me about this story as, as it relates to this church is that this is, this is the story of the first Gentile convert in the book of Acts. But we don't know his name. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know if he went back to Ethiopia or if he told anybody else about it. It's very possible that he did, but we don't know. We wouldn't even have known that this story had happened. Probably things like this were happening all the time in the first century. It just so happens that Luke happened to write it down in the book of Acts for us to read. And that's probably how most, if not everything that happens in this church and most churches will be. We will proclaim the gospel. We'll try to explain the scriptures, God's word to people. We'll baptize sinners. We'll love each other. And a hundred years from now, no one's going to know. No one's going to know probably almost any of it. Maybe there'll be some sermons, some articles on the internet, if that's still a thing in a hundred years. I don't know. But no one's going to write about us in any church history book. No one's going to celebrate us on a holiday for you and me. It's 10 to 1 odds that this building is still a Presbyterian church 100 years from now. But God sees what we do. God sees what you do, and it's precious to him. And the Lamb's book of life 
in the kingdom of God will contain every detail of everything that you did in the name of Jesus. Every prayer on behalf of another, every word of encouragement or correction in the gospel, every cup of cold water given in his name will be remembered, will be rewarded in the new heavens and the new earth. And that, that, friends, is our hope. Not glory in this life, but glory in the life to come. Let's pray. Father, what amazing love that thou, my God, shouldst come and die for me. What truly amazing news that we need to hear every Sunday. And we need to rehearse to ourselves every weekday. And that the world needs to hear that there is a God who loves them, that there is a Savior who is for them and who will meet them in their darkest and deepest need. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of grace. We pray that you would help us to not be ashamed of that gospel. That was first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. And thank the Lord it was for us. But help us to share it whether in word or in deed, whether in preaching or simply sharing a kind word. Father, make us purveyors of the good news. In the name of our Savior Jesus, we pray.